If you'll leave your Bibles open to Luke in that passage. There are many words that Christ delivered, many lessons that he gave, that the people who heard it, that the audience of the, at the time couldn't understand it. They couldn't fathom it. They couldn't recognize what Jesus was trying to tell them. We're going through the Gospel according to John in our morning Bible study on Sundays. And repeatedly, over and over, the disciples are confused by the words that Jesus is giving to them, by the lessons that Jesus is preaching to them. For, for those of us today, 2,000 years later, we have the full New Testament. It's easy for us to look back and to say, how could they miss it? How could they not understand what the message was? How could they not get what Jesus was trying to explain to them? How Jesus was trying to lead them, to teach them, to help them to mature in their love for one another and for him. These verses that we have here in Luke are a difficult saying. They're difficult words. And there are, new there are times in the New Testament where we see Jesus delivered a message that was not well received. There are times when Jesus' disciples stopped following him because the words that he gave them were hard. Were hard to understand, were hard even to follow. Because Jesus was calling them to change their lives, to change everything about them. And one of the ways that Jesus was trying to do that was to say what we needed to do as his disciples, who we needed to be as followers of Christ. And I use these verses today to, to bring a simple lesson to you in three parts. Jesus was teaching his disciples to have a vision that was different than everybody else's vision in the world. A vision that was unique to those who trusted and loved in their father and who chose to follow his son in his call. That vision was critical in their lives. But more than just their vision, they had to change their values. What was important to them? What was valuable to them? Everything changed as a disciple of Christ. Your values were completely different than those around you. And third, we had to change the velocity. We had to change where we were going and how we were getting there. And those three ways we can see in these few verses. Let's look at who these three potential disciples were. They were coming to Jesus and they were saying, I will follow you. I want to be your disciple. I am willing to put my life aside for you and do what you would have me to do. It's an honorable and it's a, 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 an important message for us that that's the, that's the attitude we need to have. We need to come to Jesus saying, what do you want me to do? Not what can you do for me? So what does the first individual say in verse 57 and 58? What is the promise that that person has said? I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. How many times have you heard anybody say that to you? How many times has anybody promised to do whatever you do, I will be there. I will be there for you. And we would think that would be a fantastic promise. That would be a fantastic dedication of somebody's life. But what is the response that Jesus gives? Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests. But 
the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What does the second disciple come to Jesus and say? What is the promise that the second disciple has made? Jesus calls to him and says, follow me. A simple command, a simple direction that we see repeatedly through the Gospels. Very simple words. But the disciple says, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Hold on a second, Lord. I'll I'll be right with you. I've got something else I've got to do first. And then I'll come and follow you. What does the third person say? Verse 61, another said to him, I will follow you, Lord. Another promise, another dedication, another yes, I'm there for you. But what's the pivot word that comes next? But, everything changes on that word. But, and yet, hold on, even so, I will do that when. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those who are at home. Hold on. I've got a few people I have to say bye to first. I have to say my farewells, and then, when the timing's good, when I've gotten all that done, then I'll follow you. Then I'll come and be your disciple. That's the promise that these three people have made to Jesus. I will follow you. I will be your disciple. I will be with you. But what is the response? What is the change that they're willing to make? It's a delayed change. It's on their time. It's on their schedule. And yet Jesus comes to them and says, hold on. Life is not going to be the same as you know it. And it's going to change in these ways. We have to look at the vision that people have as his disciple. We have to look at what they have given up and what they have valued in order to be children of his. The initial commitment to Christ is is honorable and is in fact necessary for us to have and yet it is not alone sufficient to realize what Jesus has done for us calls for a change in our attitude and a change in who we are we see in verse 57 that the initial commitment to Christ and the promise that Christ in verse 58 says but realize this That the vision that you have is not for one of comfort. It's not for one of care. But you're giving up those comforts. You're giving up that, that comfort that the world has promised to give you. I do not have, even as the Son of Man, as God's Son, do not have a place to lay my head. You're giving up everything. You're giving up your house. You're giving up your home. You're giving up the comforts of this world. That's what we need to give up for Christ. We see that the vision that we have is one of following Christ regardless of the cost. Because it is valuable for us. It is the only way that we can respond to the call that he has given to us. But what are the values that we have? The seemingly important tasks that that betray a, a proper value the answers that we have to the questions, where is our heart? What do we value in this life? What are we willing to spend our time, our effort, our money, our resources to do, to have, to be in this world? Jesus is calling us to question our values. And in fact, even as simple as the foundation upon which we decide what is valuable. The story that we're so familiar with of the foundations of the sand and the rock Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Let's take a quick look at that. 
it's important to realize that even though we think we know the stories, even the stories that we learn as children, we need to come at them with a fresh eye, with a fresh understanding. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet, it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Even though these are very simple words, we have to recognize that everyone that he speaks to here, the everyone who hears the words, is each one of us here today. Every one of us is hearing his word. And what is the question is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to act on it like this person in the story at the beginning acted on it? Or are we not going to act on it? Are we not going to act on them and be like the foolish man? So when we hear the story as a child or as an adult, we have to ask ourselves, we are the ones who have heard his words. What are we going to do with them? What is our foundation? And we see, in fact, that Jesus himself was one who spoke with authority. He spoke as one, not like the scribes, that they so often sounded like they had authority and spoke like they thought they had authority, but Jesus himself came and had the authority from his own father and spoke with that authority, unlike any man could do. And so we see, in fact, turning back to Luke we see, in fact, that that second example, the follow me call that Jesus made to that disciple, the response was, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Is that acting on the words that Jesus has given to you? What is the foundation of that response? The foundation of that response is, I have more important things to take care of right now. I'll get to you in just a few minutes. Give me a little time to myself first, and then I'll come and follow you. The foundation is not one of rock, but one of sand. Continuing to put the world first will always continue to come up as a disciple struggles with the call of the world versus the call of Christ. The question is, which call will you respond to? You will respond to one or the other. There's no choice. You have to respond one or the other. Is it the world? Or is it with Christ? And what Christ is saying here is, you need to set aside all of that you value in this life to follow me. The basis, the foundation of your actions now changes completely from yourself to following me. When we look at our life, 
at our personal life. For those of us who have put on Christ in baptism, we answered the call that Jesus made to us. We answered when Jesus said, follow me, we heard that and responded. What was our response? We put Christ on in baptism. And from then on, what did we do? Did we say, hold on, let me go back and bury my dead? Hold on, I need to go say goodbye to my friends and my family because I'm going away. Or did we say, Christ, I will follow you right now. I will put aside what my life was before right now. And I will choose to do what you would have me to do right now. If we didn't do that, if you didn't respond in that way, if you didn't change your life, then the answer to Christ continues to be, follow me right now. Do what I am asking you to do. Put aside your old life right now, realizing that the life that I have called you is to come and follow me right now. What is the purpose of following Christ? What is the purpose of putting him on? If we look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we see that Christ himself, as our example, even had a vision. He even had a goal that he put first. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We are called to fix our eyes on Christ. Now, Christ is our example. He is all that we should be and all that we should do. And our life should be guided by his example. And it says here in verse 2 that Jesus was the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The vision that Christ had was to sit at his Father's right hand, and he was willing to put his own life aside. For that joy, it says, that he looked forward to. It was a joy that was the vision that drew him to endure the suffering and the crucifixion on the cross for us. And in fact, it says to consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, let's look at what Christ did for us. He emptied himself. He completely gave up who he used to be for us. He put on the form of a servant. And being found in the form of a servant, he suffered death even the humiliating death on the cross, that we can have hope of eternal life. That vision that he had for salvation for us led him to a life of crucifixion on the cross. The life that he gave up for us, that was his vision. But his values were based on his love for God and his desire to do what God would have him to do. What are the basis of our values today? What do we consider important and valuable? Is it society? Is it our friends? Maybe it's what we have. Or, as we see here, is it material possessions? Jesus said, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. How many of us would be willing to give up our homes to follow him, if that was the call that we were made to have? What did God promise us? God promised us that the world would hate us, 
It, he never promised us that the world would love us. He never promised us that the world would even listen to us or hear us. But the call that he made, he realized that the world would throw it aside, would ignore it. But the promise that we have, even in John 7, 7, it said, The world has hated Christ, and because it hated me, it will hate you, because you follow me. That's the world. That's the basis for the world's love and values, is a hatred for Christ. But the promise that we saw that Jesus was willing to go through a death on the cross for us, was ultimately resulted in joy and sitting at his Father's right hand. And it was that vision and it was those values that led Christ to live the life for us. The third V is we have values, we have a vision, and the third V is velocity. We need to move, we need to, to have action and be active in following him. Why didn't I simply use S for speed or M for move? Because it's not V, right? But other than that, velocity is more than just movement. A velocity is movement with direction, movement with intent, movement with purpose. And we see the third example of the disciple that came to Christ said, hold on a second, let me go back to my friends. And that's exactly the wrong direction that Christ wants you to go. As soon as you put your hand to the plow, you can't look back. You can't live the life you had before and live the life for Christ. The life you had before was the old life. If you're putting on a new life, live the new life and continue to look forward. Move the plow forward, not back. So it's not just motion, it's not just movement, but it's direction, it's intent, it's purpose. And with our values and with our vision, the intent and the purpose that we have will move us forward with Christ. And that moving forward is what he calls us to do. What he calls us to be as his disciples. Not moving back, but always moving forward. As I mentioned, velocity is more than just movement. It's also a direction. And typically it's, it's depicted by an arrow, right? What's the size of the arrow and where is it pointing? So my question to you today is, what is the size of your velocity arrow? A little nerdy maybe, but bear with me. What is the size of your arrow, and where is it pointed? As a disciple of Christ, are you looking forward, and are you running in that direction? Ask yourself, is that the life that Christ has called me to live for him? Or is your arrow looking forward, but it's a little short? It's a little stunted. And I really want to, but I'm not going to go that fast. I'm going to, you know, I've got a lot of things... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on. Christ has called us to move the plow. You can't move the plow a millimeter at a time and, and get God's will done. Let's move forward together with a big arrow in the right direction. Let's enlarge our arrow. Let's make it velocity in the right direction for Christ. Let's move our lives toward him eagerly and vibrantly looking forward to the life that Christ has promised us, just as the life that he looked forward to after his death. He was willing to go through the death on the cross for us, for that joy that he looked forward to. And it's that same joy that we have to look forward to as well, that's been promised to us when we get there. But there's time between now and then where we will have difficulty, 
The world will hate us. It will persecute us. It will put all kinds of stumbling blocks. Satan is looking for any way that he can to slow our progress, to change the direction of our arrow. He's always looking for opportunities to shrink the arrow and to point it in the wrong direction, to point it back to the world, to make us think the world is, is okay, it's all right, it's fine. Satan's message to you is, it's all right, just go back. Jesus' message to you is, don't look back, always move forward. So the question is, where is your arrow pointed? And where are you moving? What's the basis for your beliefs? What's your values? And what is your ultimate vision? Is it the same vision that Jesus had? Is it the vision for the life in the hereafter? Are your values based on the word that he has given to us as his message, as his direction? Is that the foundation of the rock that you're basing your, uh, your life on? And where are you pointed? There's so many ways that we can point our arrow in the right direction. We have an opportunity for giving both of our time. At prayer day, for example, yesterday was an awesome opportunity. It's a great time to come together and to focus on the needs of others, which is exactly what Jesus would have us to do. Always remembering what others, remembering others in our prayer for them and taking time out of our lives to do that. Encouraging our brother or sister. We have many in our congregation that are weak, that are struggling either for financial for emotional, for spiritual, for physical ailments. There are many that need encouragement. Pick up the phone. Make a phone call. Send a letter or a note. Just encourage our brothers and sisters together in ways that we can as a family. Consider teaching a class. There are so many wonderful children in this congregation that would benefit from the knowledge, the Bible knowledge that we have, that you have. Consider teaching them and encouraging the young ones in this congregation to grow up and to recognize the love that they get. Jesus has given his life for them. Let's think about things that we can do, old things that we might have valued. Let's take some time and, and look through our material possessions. We have an opportunity to, to help the homeless by bringing in coats that we no longer use. Or bringing in a new coat. We can buy a new coat and bring it in and donate it. Have you considered doing that? Have you looked through your closet and found anything that could be brought in and given? Consider doing that. Benevolence. There's so many needs that we all, all see. Let's consider helping one another. But also we want to consider how we spend our money and what our focus is on our money. Jesus himself was what's called the first fruits. Let's turn over 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20. It says, By now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Are you Christ's? Do you belong to him? Have you given your life up for him? Are you following him? Jesus Christ himself was a firstfruit. 
He was part of the most valuable and the initial giving of what, the, what God had. He is the only begotten son. He is the only son that God has. And God gave him for us. Are we willing to give our first fruits? Are we willing to give the first of everything we have to Christ and to following him? So we see, in fact, here that in 1 Corinthians, Christ was the first fruits from the dead. And we also are promised to follow and be with him and the hereafter. What is the best of us that we have? Are we giving our first fruits of time, of money, of energy, of effort? Are we dedicating our lives to be his disciples? Are we looking for those creature comforts and a place to lay our heads? Are we willing to give that up for Christ? Are we willing to say, my life is now dedicated and devoted to him, and realizing that everything that was in the here, after, that was in the before, is now gone, is now behind us? And are we willing to put our lives forward for him? So there are difficult ways. These are easy ways that we have, that we can give our time and our effort and our, our energies to following him, to being his disciples. Um, we also want to recognize that there are more difficult ways. Giving the gospel to those who are around you in the world that are lost. Recognizing that they're dying. Correcting those who are in error, but doing so with love. Looking to bring them back into the fold. And confessing your sins to your brothers and your sisters. It's not easy to do, but our lives as children of Christ is not easy to do. We are not guaranteed an easy life. But we are guaranteed to be changed to the core by his love. So let's motivate one another and let's be motivated ourselves to be there for our brothers and our sisters. There is still so much that needs to be done. And as we're looking at having deacons, we're looking to appoint deacons, let's consider each one of us, whether we're able to serve in that capacity, how we can dedicate our energies and our focus to doing the work that needs to be done. And for those families, for those others who might know and think of somebody who can serve in that capacity, let's encourage them to do so. Encourage them to, to put their efforts and their focus into getting the work here done that needs to be done. I'm grateful for every one of us that are here that are able to work for his will and to be his children. Let's help one another in doing that, that we can fulfill our mission as his disciples, that we can help each other move forward and not look back to remember that we have the vision that Christ had of the life in the hereafter, that we have the values that he based his life on as doing his Father's will, and the, the velocity that we have of moving forward, actively dedicating our lives to his service. Let's consider how we can do that more as his children in this area. For those of you who are not yet been, have put him on in baptism, who have not recognized uh, the salvation that comes through his shed blood, there's an opportunity now to take advantage and to put Christ on in baptism, to recognize the gift that he has given to us, the opportunity that we have to put our old life behind us and to move ahead in a life that he has given to us. The opportunity is now, the opportunity is yours to take to put him on in baptism. If you'll make your needs known, as together we stand and sing.